kind of something that I was thinking about as I read through this, this, stick with me here, but this psalm reminded me of home improvement problems. So maybe you've ever, have you ever stumbled across, maybe I know some of you guys are home improvement people because you're the people that I usually call when I have an issue. If you ever, you're working in your house, right? And you, you're starting out in this project and you've blocked out, okay, I got this Saturday, I'm gonna get this done. And then you come to this one point in the project where you suddenly realize that this is going to take way longer than I expected. <laughs> Usually that's either because of a mistake you made or you discover something about your house that you didn't know. Uh, we, you know my wife will remember one time I was working on our, we had a back door that had just had some issues and I had known that there was, oh, the, the, the sill hasn't been sealed right and so I'm just going to open this up and replace the sill. No problem, I've got four hours on a Saturday. I'll never forget the time as I opened, I opened the door up, I pulled the sill out and I could feel my screwdriver go through the sill and the floor and then I pulled it out and I could see my basement from my kitchen, which is, they're, they're two different uh, stories if you haven't been to my house. Um, and I realized at that moment, this was not just going to be a Saturday afternoon project. We had bigger, deeper issues than I'd been aware of that now needed to be fixed, right? Once you find that out, you can't just kind of close it up and walk away. You've got this issue that needs to be dealt with right now. And you know, that's true, right? Whether, did I make that mess? No, I inherited that mess. I had moved to the house and somebody had failed to get that sill set up just right, but it was my mess now, right? Because I had found it and now I needed to fix it. So this is true for all of us, right? Whether it's just, you know, some rotten boards or a, a room in your house that just becomes the room that we don't, we'll just close the door and not worry about what's going on in there, right? Or even more serious stuff, sin issues that are hidden away in your life or in your family's life. At some point, right, somebody has to look at that mess and take responsibility for the question, well, who's going to clean all, all this up now? Right? It's, it becomes somebody's problem at some point. And today we're going to see that that's the situation that Israel's in with this kingdom that David is handing over, gross messes and all, to his son Solomon. Now, when we're going to read this psalm, and, and we're used to, right? We know that we live in a fallen world and we experience that for ourselves. So we're used to creating these messes so much that sometimes we can read a prayer like this and we can even get a little upset or a little sad looking at all of these hopes and dreams that they have for this kingdom and all these prayers. And, and you can look at it and say, well, yeah, like that's ever going to happen. You can almost get a little frustrated or cynical and say, yeah, Lord, but we all know that that's not possible. So let's live in the real world. But what's amazing that we're going to read from this, this uh, chapter is that God has promised not only just to clean up our messes, right? We know that. We know the gospel. We know that God wants to come in and change my life and forgive me for my sin. We know that. But he's also promised to make us capable of pleasing him in the kind of the kingdoms, if you will, that he's given us. Mess and all. Even though we're human, just like all the people that we're going to read about, you know, these, these kings that are they're hoping for these good outcomes, they're human people, flawed human people, but God was able to use them to accomplish his will anyway. So, let's get started. We're going to start in uh, Psalm chapter 72, and it says, Of Solomon, now we're going to have to pause for just a second, we made it so far. Um, <laughs> It's important just to take a quick note before we get going, though. When it says of Solomon, there's some difference of opinion that people have on how you might interpret what that is. Some commentators that I read, they feel that this psalm was written by David. And so they'll interpret of Solomon to mean, you know, a psalm to Solomon or for Solomon. Um, and that would mean we would think that it would be, this is one of, in any case, it's one of the, it's the last psalm in this book. You see that right here before 73, it says book three, but maybe in your Bible. So it's this kind of end of an era, in a sense, in this big songbook. And it's this pivotal psalm that's going to be written 
about Solomon or to Solomon or by Solomon, depending on how you interpret it, on the occasion of him becoming the king at the close of David's reign as David's passing away. So, so again, some folks would interpret this and say, this is David writing this psalm to his son Solomon. Some people would say, no, this is a, this is a coronation psalm, and maybe it's a, one of Solomon's first psalms. Maybe it's a psalm that he had commissioned. Maybe he said, you know, we're going to have this coronation. I want somebody, some psalmist, to write this prayer of what we want to happen, right? In any case, and this is important when you read, sometimes you might come across something like the book of Hebrews, and people have different opinions on who authored it, and that might spook you a little bit. It doesn't, it's not going to change the interpretation of what we talk about here. Now, I personally would lean a little bit more towards David writing this. And there's a couple of reasons. I think a lot of them are just, as, you, as you're reading, to me, this one, and this is just personal, but this one a little bit sounds like sometimes the way David would write. And it, I think it fits into this idea that these are David's hopes that he has for his son's reign. And you're going to see here in a minute where it's, it's, there are these pretty high and lofty hopes even. And it makes a little more sense to me that this is a dad having these high hopes and expectations, maybe even for his son, than that it's Solomon at the beginning of his reign saying, man, I hope that my reign looks like this. And he writes out this prayer. You might disagree and that's okay, but that's kind of how we're going to approach it today. And, and it, like I said, good folks think, think either way on this one. In either case, this psalm is going to start talking about Solomon. And then you're going to gradually see, and we're not going to have a real hard line where all of a sudden we can say, now it's not talking about Solomon anymore, but it's going to get so mixed in that pretty soon you're going to say, now, hang on a second, that sounds familiar. We're, we're talking about somebody else now. And this is really going to become a very mess, what's called a messianic psalm, a psalm talking about Jesus before his incarnation. And it's even going to include some hints on how, like I said, we ought to rule what God's given us. All right, now we can read verse 1. It says, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. So, Again, I'm, I'm kind of feeling that this is Solomon, he's sitting down. And remember, we've got recorded in, in Scripture, in fact, we're going to read some of Solomon, uh, sorry, David sitting down. We're going to read some of David's other last words in Scripture. So we've got this kind of scene that the Bible records for us of how he's getting to the end of his life and he's realizing, I'm done and I need to start making plans to hand things over. And he had even done that, you know, before the end of his life where he remember he had wanted to make a temple and then he'd realized, no, I just need to prepare it. So... He's getting to this point where he's realizing someone else is going to take this kingdom from me. And you guys know your Bible history. David's kingdom was kind of this pretty crazy roller coaster ride, right? For a while, he's kind of, you know, you read about David and he, I get this takeaway from him. Maybe this is just me, but he just has this kind of like outlaw biker gang vibe, David does, right? Because he's, he's not even allowed to be, you know, in, in, the, in the capital because Saul's going to come get him. So he's just living out in the wilderness. And it says all of the, I think the, I think it says worthless fellows almost. I, I got to go check that. But it's basically all the guys that are kind of, oh, you know, this guy, he's, he's kind of the black sheep of the family. They all roll up and join David. And now they're hanging out in the desert. And, and it seems like David had a hard time getting rid of that feeling to his kingdom. Even when he finally, the Lord makes him the king, he has always all these problems and drama. Now, a lot of this is self-cause for David, right? He makes his own problems. Sometimes it just comes to him. It's family issues and, 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 and turmoil and things. It's other people that are coming in. He's got to fight all these other people. He's got this mess going on. His rule had been stressful and violent, and there had been sinful decisions, whether it was his or others. So he knows the value of a, of a peaceful kingdom. 
right? David's had, I think, some years, too, where things were going well. So he knows, man, what would I want for my son? If he's going to take this job, what do I want for him? Well, I want it to be like these years. Remember when it was like everything was okay and things weren't exploding and on fire? That's probably what he's, you know, thinking of. So he starts praying, man, I, I just hope that he does a good job and that God just blesses him with the, the, the he, that he does the best job that he could because I know it's going to be a blessing for everybody. Now, remember, some of these mistakes, they're, they're not like academic for Solomon, right? Like this is Solomon's whole history. Solomon is here because of mistakes David made. I mean, literally, right? So Solomon's on the planet because of mistakes that David made with the whole episode, horrible CD episode with Uriah and Bathsheba. And so when, when Solomon's hearing, like, let's just imagine, you know, Solomon's hearing this psalm as he's being coronated. Solomon's got to be thinking of, this is the, the kingdom that I've got to inherit. This mess that's going on, right? Remember, there's like other people that are hoping that they could have been king, but David's like, no, no, we're going to make him the king. And there's problems with the brothers that had led to civil wars and all this crazy stuff. So David knew that he was handing a bit of a mess over to his son in some ways. That David had to have been thinking about that. And he's got this on his mind. And he, so he's saying, you know what? I, I just, I hope that the Lord can bless Solomon so that he does better than I do. He, he can go further than, than me. Hopefully the Lord can, can bless him for that. And, and, and he starts praying, you know, I just hope that his kingdom's prosperous and there's, there's blessing and, and maybe, maybe he can take care of the poor people. Sometimes I feel like I didn't do as good a job of that as I should have. So maybe he can go further than, than me there. And, and I, you know, I just hope that he gets rid of all these oppressors that we still have hanging around and all this stuff. Now, it's a mistake, and sometimes we can feel this way. It's a mistake to feel when, you're, when you get this, this feeling, I, man, this is a situation, I want to pray about it. It's a mistake to feel that we should need to, you know, that's not what God cares about. He doesn't care about this family drama that you have, David. Why don't you pray something serious about the temple or something? You know, no, David, that's your problem. You made this mess. You go, need to go deal with it. That's not how David prayed. Maybe that's not how we feel sometimes. That's never how David prayed. You read the Psalms. This is right in line with how David prayed. David would just march into God's throne room and say, God, I got problems, and I want stuff, and here's my issue. That's how David's relationship with the Lord. And we need to remember that God does care about everyday things, the things that matter to us in, in the everyday, whether those are national prosperity. Lord, I, I don't know if you've noticed, Lord, but my dollar's not going as far as it used to. You know, that, and sometimes we feel like, oh, that's no, I'll pray about something else. No, God, clearly God cares about that because that's one of the first things David is thinking about. Man, I, I hope that Israel just does great. I hope there's big harvest and everybody's taken care of and God blesses us. You know, God cares about things like how the taxation goes. Read and it becomes a big issue in Israel's kingdom specifically coming up here. God cares about those things. God cares about our family drama. That's not something that we just kind of, let's get this sorted on Saturday so we can come in here and show up and look good, right? You, you guys wouldn't do that, but sometimes we struggle with that. But that's not how God sees it, right? David, uh, of all people, was a man with family issues, right? Self-caused, others-caused. But he's just bringing them to the Lord and saying, Lord, I hope you can sort all this out. I know I didn't fix it all before. I'm now going to go be with you, so I want you to sort this all out for my son Solomon. He's praying that Solomon would judge and care for the people righteously and fairly. And be, you know, we know that David was a man after God's own heart, right? So in a sense, the things that David is praying, they line right up with the will of God. That's how your prayers work too. When you're walking with the Lord, the Spirit, the Bible says, helps us to pray according to the Lord's will. So David is praying, and, and we know that these are things God cares about. 
God doesn't want destruction and poor government to cause issues for people. God doesn't want people to be, you know, the Bible says rulers aren't supposed to grind the face of the poor, right? God doesn't like all those things. And David's seeing those things and he's saying, you know, I, I just, I hope that he can, he can get better as things go forward. Now, so far, right, as you read this, it's pretty easy to see how this just kind of applies to Solomon, right? You're reading this and you say, yeah, that's, that sounds like a prayer that a king would pray either, you know, at the beginning of his reign or as, as a dad as you're handing things off. But watch how as we keep going, we're going to lose track a little bit of whether we're talking about Solomon, who's a human, earthly, sinful king, or we're talking about somebody else. So and we're going to lose track a little bit, and there's a reason for that. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 5. It says, May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound till the moon be no more. So now it's this shift to, you know, I want this kingdom not just to be good, but I want it to last. He starts praying these prayers about endurance and like permanence. That when it says, may they fear you, some, uh, there's like a variant reading that says, may it endure. Now, either way, it's, you can see how the application is the same, right? It's talking about, I want God to, I want this to last. And the only way that's going to work is if God blesses it. So if you read, may they fear you, if that's the correct reading of that language, it's this idea of, hey, God's only going to bless it if they're fearing God. And, it, and the other reading is, may it endure. He's still, he's praying to God saying, Lord, if the kingdom's going to last, it's, it's going to be up to you. Please help this to continue. Help it to last through, you know, throughout all generations. Now, remember, this is, you know, David's using these beautiful, really, you know, incredible word pictures to convey this idea that God is going to be ruling over the people and over Solomon. And that's going to bless the kingdom and keep it permanent. David had some memories of times where his kingdom was this close, right, to being taken by somebody else where he's getting kicked out of the capital and, you know, having to have this civil war with his own son, all these things. So he's saying, Lord, I just, I hope that everything's stable and that he just, things get built that are going to last a really long time. Now, these words, and again, this is why I would lean a little bit more towards this being David here. These words are in some ways an echo of what you read in 2 Samuel, which are some of David's last words that we have recorded. If you turn to 2 Samuel 23, uh, starting in verse 3, 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 3, he says, The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he's made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? Now, like we said, like a lot of David's prayers, if you don't know who David is and the relationship that he has with the Lord, you can read that and you can say, well, that's a little arrogant, don't you think, David? That whole prayer is basically David saying, isn't God going to make everything I do last a long time? Because I'm awesome, right? But knowing David, David's a man after God's own heart. David is just returning to the Lord and saying, Lord, here's what I've done. It's really not been fantastic in some ways. But you promised, right? What did God, God promised, I'm going to keep someone on your, on your throne. I'm going to keep a son of yours ruling on your throne. So David said, look, Lord, you made that promise. You're going to have to fulfill it. He's reminding the Lord of these promises that God had made to his house. David knew from experience that when you obey God and you do righteously as a king, God blesses you. 
He also knew from experience that when you disobey God and do unrighteously, God does not bless you. There's, there's problems and things that come from that and consequences. Now, so David is hoping this same thing for Solomon. He's, he's hoping, you know, I hope you never have to go through that experience. And maybe he's even thinking to individual things. I hope you never do something arrogant like when I numbered the people and then a bunch of people got sick and died because of an arrogant decision I made. I hope you never get involved, you know, with, with women in a way that pulls your heart away from the Lord and makes a mess. And we're, it's even kind of sad to read it because we're reading that and we're like, yeah, but in some areas, Solomon didn't even fulfill this wish of his dad's or this, even this prayer. He wasn't obedient totally to the Lord. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But you can see David still is primarily thinking about this fulfillment for his dynasty, right? You can read this. You can say, yeah, David's hoping that the people fear the Lord and, and everything. But you can also start to see some interesting things. First of all, as we get into uh, verse 7, in his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Now, was Solomon a king till the moon be no more? No, because we still have the moon and we do not have Solomon, right? So that's interesting. Who is he talking about? Now, you could, it would be easy to say, oh, well, he's just speaking poetically. And yeah, I think he is. David's a poet. So he's just writing this beautiful, you know, psalm about like, Lord, I, I hope that the moon perishes before my son's kingdom perishes. Yeah, there's a, there's a beautiful sentiment there. But I also think, as in a lot of cases with David when he's writing the psalms, that when he's in the spirit and the Lord is using him, and, and remember, this is how inspiration works, right? The Holy Spirit is saying, right now, what about this? David's like, yeah, that would be awesome. And the Holy Spirit said, wouldn't you also, wouldn't this be great? And David's like, that would be great. And he's writing this down. And he doesn't always maybe even know exactly where it happens. But at some point, David's starting to talk about somebody who isn't necessarily Solomon. And you can even see in here where he's, he's talking about things where he says, so, you know, it, when it says, may they fear you and may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass. Now, is that talking about may Solomon be like rain that falls on the mown grass? Sure, it could be like that, because he's such a blessing that it's just a blessing for the whole land. But it, you could also see how it could also be talking about God, right? And it's a little difficult to, now that's interesting, Why, which is it? Is it the king who's going to rule Israel or God? Or is there an option for both, right? And that's what we're going to start to see with the Messiah, that this psalm is going to start to be pointing towards a perfect king who's going to do a perfect job of what David is hoping that Solomon is going to do. So David's got this hope, right? And he's looking for this fulfillment. Now remember, this is, David may not even be realizing that God is going to perfectly fulfill this. He's probably mostly thinking about Solomon. And, you know, can you blame him? Reads what we've read so far in the first seven verses. That sounds like a place I'd like to live, right? A place that's so blessed that you just kind of describe it as, man, you, you walk outside and the, the rain is fresh rain on the grass, but also the sun's out and the birds are singing and it's just perfect, right? Yeah, that would be great if we could describe our country, our, you know, town, our house or whatever as, as that nicely and poetically. Yeah, it's just wonderful. There's, the, the sun's always out. That's how it feels, right? It would be wonderful. Now, we're tempted to say, but that's not how it is. You just got to come back to the real world, David. That's ridiculous. You got to lower your expectations to be something realistic. Well, or we can ask ourselves, what do you think the Lord wants us to do about that? If that's the desire of our heart, when we look at our nation or even something as small as like our house or our backyard, you go out in your backyard and say, man, it would be nice if it looked like there was rain on mown grass out here. But right now the grass is not mown and it's not watered either, right? But that desire that's in our heart, what are we supposed to do with that? Are we just supposed to say, well, that's not the real world? Or is that something that's from the Lord? 
Is he wanting us to look at these situations and pray just like David did? I wish God would fix that. Man, that's a mess. Maybe it's even a mess I made, but I really wish it wasn't that way. I wish God would help me to fix that. And that's something that we're going to see as we continue in this psalm. So now in verse 8, there's this shift where he's starting to pray. He's, he's been praying about the conditions of the rule in, in Israel, right? Like, help it to be prosperous, help, help things to, to grow, basically. I mean, he's even really, really practically talking about that. Help the righteous to flourish, help there to be peace. Now he's going to shift, he's going to talk about the extent of that kingdom, kind of where the boundary lines go. In verse 8, he says, May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render to him tribute, and may the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Now, this is where we start to see some sections that were, again, all this is going to be partially fulfilled by Solomon. That's important. In a lot of ways, when you read um, kind of in, in Samuel, as we're going to actually start pretty soon, and then Kings, you'll see that Solomon, in a lot of ways, does surpass his dad. I mean, he's the one who gets to build the temple, and there's peace, and the Bible talks specifically about how there's a, an extension of their borders, and all, the, all these kings come, remember? even You might even recognize one of those names. It has Sheba in there, right? Well, the queen of Sheba does actually come and bring this emissary to Solomon. So there is a near fulfillment to this kind of prophetic singing that, that David, I think, is doing. But you can also see parts that he's not going to be able to totally fulfill. So he said, hey, I want Gentile nations to come and pay tribute and homage to Israel as a result of Solomon's rule. Yeah, that happened. And we know that actually Israel's territory never got any bigger than it was under Solomon. That was the biggest extent. That was the furthest they got, and things started to kind of go downhill from there, actually, with the split of the kingdom. But we also know that, obviously, Solomon never had control over the whole earth, Right? That's, that was never a thing that happened. And this is literally what he's asking for. He says, may all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. Now, imagine, you're, you're maybe, and this is just a picture I had in my head as I was studying, and maybe this didn't even happen, but it was something that popped into my head. Imagine you're poor Solomon. Maybe your, your dad has, has just passed away, and you've, you know, everybody says, hey, he wrote this, like, coronation psalm for you. It was, like, his hopes for you. And so you're getting, you're coronated, you, you get, receive, I don't know how the Israelites do this, they get a crown or something. And, and now you're listening to this psalm and you're going, the first part's pretty normal. Like, hey, may the Lord bless the, the harvest and the people. He's like, yeah, I really hope the Lord does that. And you get into this middle part and he's like, and I hope that every king on the whole planet serves him. You're like, thanks, dad. Like, no pressure at all, <laughs> right? Like, this is what the people are hearing. It's like, I, and poor Solomon's got to be like, how am I supposed to do that again? So, so not only do I have to be a perfect king who judges justly and rules righteously and does the right thing and all these people are depending on me, but now I'm not doing a good job, according to my dad, if the whole planet doesn't come under my, under my kingdom. That's gotta, that does have to feel like a little pressure. And maybe we can empathize with that. Maybe you've looked at the job that God has given you or the Lord's commands to you, and sometimes you might have felt, look, you know that they're good, Right? You know that that's what, this is the standard, but you look at it and you're like, come on, Lord. I mean, seriously, if you paid attention around here <laughs> at all recently, how am I supposed to do that? You know, be perfect as I am perfect. Okay, yeah, Lord, but how? 
What do, what do you want from me, right? And you can, if we're not careful, the enemy can use this to get us frustrated at the Lord, especially after we fail in some major way where you can turn that back to the Lord and you can say, what do you want from me, right? We can get the, feel this frustration. It's tempting when the Lord has this high bar that he asks for us to do a couple things. Number one, we can just give up, right? We can just get frustrated and say, well, that must not be what the Lord wants. That, or it's just impossible to serve the Lord. Look, I keep failing. It's also tempting to try and find ways to revise that bar down, right? Well, that can't be what he means by that, right? That can't be, okay, yeah, you know, I'm sure to Solomon, Solomon had to be like, guys, 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 let's, we need to get ahead of this. I'm sure he didn't mean all the kingdoms everywhere. Like, surely he just meant like a lot of the kingdoms, right? Like, let's explain to people that they shouldn't be expecting this, right? That might be tempting. But here's the thing, don't be tempted to give up. There is actually in this Psalm, prophetically, all of the things that the Messiah is actually going to do. And it, wouldn't it be a huge loss? In fact, it was a huge loss when the, to the children of Israel started saying, that can't be what God meant by that. Surely there's some way that we can do it because it can't be that there's going to be this perfect kingdom with this perfect Messiah to the point where they weren't even looking for him when he came. We don't want to do the same thing in our lives. If God's saying, this is who I want to make you, and you say, well, he can't mean that because that would be impossible, you might be missing out on something. You might be missing out on what God actually wants you to be able to do, the things he sent you to do and to be. And this is what we're going to start to see. The language in here gets really specific and interesting. When David is praying that the king's enemies lick the dust, right, which some of that, I, I think, I'm sure, you know, David, you've read David. David really had some pretty brutal prayers for his enemies. Like, and then, Lord, I want you to kick their teeth out. I want you to, you know, and he's getting all excited. But this is not just David getting carried away. This is specific language and it seems that what David's doing here is he's asking remember in back in Genesis or right after the fall in the garden of Eden God is giving out these punishments and he's saying okay the serpent is going to crawl on the ground and then you guys are going to have these punishments but there's going to be a seed that comes from the woman that's going to crush the serpent's head right well it really looks in this psalm and this is some commentators that I read actually say that the language bears this, bears this out it looks in this psalm that David's remembering back to that and he's saying you know what would be awesome is if from my kingdom that seed of the woman could come that's actually going to crush the serpent's head that would be great and then he starts writing it down he's like yeah that would, that would be really cool and the Holy Spirit's like it would be cool you should write that down he goes okay I'm gonna write that down right so David he's not just getting these big-headed dreams that somebody needs to come and settle him down. The Holy Spirit is inspiring him for something that anybody reading this would be like, okay, David, can we, just, can we just have some peaceful years? Let's start there and we'll build. But that's not how he sees it. He wants this thing, this ultimate peace, this ultimate removal of the enemy to come. And he was right to want that because that's what the Lord wanted to do as well. In Isaiah 11, we're going to read four verses here. This should be a very familiar verse to you, but this is a prophecy that comes later on and see if you can see how some of the wording is similar from, from Isaiah to this, this psalmist here. Isaiah 11, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, which is a reference to David. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. 
Now, we all, you guys, if you've been around the Bible a little bit, you know that that's talking about Jesus, right? But isn't it interesting how it's very similar to what David is praying for his son? And something that Solomon gets close, but he just doesn't, he doesn't quite get there. And all through, they're all praying, you know, we're doing, we're doing this kingdom thing and we're trying really hard, but it seems like it would be great if God would just fix all these messes. And that's not just them, you know, wishful thinking, yeah, you should be more realistic. That's exactly what the Lord wanted to do. He wanted them to be looking expectantly to him to solve these problems that they weren't able to solve. That's exactly the heart and the spirit that the Lord wanted them to have. David's kingdom was constantly in turmoil, right? He had these, okay, there's these people over here, this border problem, we got to fix this. And now I'm running away from King Saul before he was even king. Or then he's got to leave his own capital because of a civil war. David would have been a pretty stressed out guy. I think that tracks if you read the Psalms. There's times where you're like, yeah, that's, I've been there. Like that, that feels like how I feel when I'm anxious or stressed out. But David is reminding himself that the thing that's important is God's kingdom, right? David's putting his eyes back on, okay, it seems to us like God is saying that he's going to take care of us. He's going to bless us. He's made all these promises to me. He's said that my kingdom is going to last. And there's always going to be somebody on my throne. I don't, I'm not really sure even what that looks like, but I've got these senses in my spirit as I pray and as I sing that it's going to be something like this. So I'm going to trust that, even though when I look at my own kingdom that I'm trying to be over, I don't see a whole lot of that. So he has to have faith. Right? That this is the, what the Lord said is going to happen, even when he, sometimes his own actions are not immediately handling that in the present. And you see this all over the Psalms. Psalm 2, I mean, we're not going to take the time to read it, but you guys know Psalm 2. It's that why do the nations rage psalm. It's what we call the election year psalm around here. right? Um, and what's, it's the same kind of thing in Psalm 2. It's one of the first psalms that we have in the book. I'm not exactly sure it's one of the first that David wrote, but it's one of, his first, one of the first psalms in the psalm book where he says, what is everybody freaking out about? God's got it. It doesn't matter what they do. God's still going to be in charge. And that's the heart that he has, even as he's handing over this kind of crazy, messed up kingdom to his son. He knows that the Messiah is going to have his will and his way. And this is where, we, again, we can get discouraged. Yeah, I know. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to fix it all. I know, I know, I know. But how does that fix my Monday morning problem? Yes, Jesus is going to come back and fix all this. That's great. But right now, Jesus is not here, we, we feel, right? which is not true, but we, you can feel that. Jesus is not here and I have this problem. Jesus is not here and I made this mess. He has not yet returned, so now what? And that's what I think is really amazing about this psalm is in the middle of this whole mess, some of which David made, some of which his son is going to make. Solomon, unfortunately, when he was sinful and not following the Lord, he went right against a bunch of these hopes and prophetic prayers that his dad had for him. And he ended up, in some ways, making the same mistakes his dad did, but more. Especially if you think about the situation with women. David made mistakes with women. Solomon said, you have no idea. Law of large numbers. And then he just started making even more mistakes. And that was what started to break Solomon's kingdom down and cause problems. You see that in scripture. So all this mess is going on. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit is revealing to the psalmist what Messiah's kingdom is going to be like. And the Lord is even using David's hopes and prayers for maybe what his family could get to. Maybe we could, maybe we could stop Literally fighting each other. You know, yeah, I, I know, David, my family fights. No, like with spears, like we're fighting each other, right? Maybe we could stop fighting each other and this kingdom could have some peace and there'd be prosperity. Maybe like that. And the Lord hears those hopes and prayers that he has for his family 
And how does the Lord respond to those? He says, you know what, David? I like that. I think I'm going to actually send my son to accomplish something that's even past what you're hoping for your family. Watch what I'm going to do. Now, if that's how the Lord listens to David's hopes and his prayers and his dreams for his world and his, his situation, his family, maybe the Lord would listen to ours. Right? Stands, it stands to reason, right? David is a man after God's own heart. That's the only reason God's listening to him. It's not because David's fantastic or gets everything right. And David here, remember, he's, he's prayerful and he's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but there's also, he's just writing, pouring out his heart, and the Holy Spirit is using that and inspiring that. If, as David is praying, the Spirit is using that prayer and wanting to accomplish something, the same could be true of us, right? So let's start thinking about that as we look at how, number one, the Lord is going to fulfill all of these prayers and these prophecies that are in this psalm, but also how we might look at some of this for what the Lord wants us to do. In verse 12, starting in verse 12, it says, For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may the gold of Sheba be given him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. So he's, again, praying for the king's good character, that he would just be such a good, just, righteous king, that all the people get these blessings. And, you know, these... These prayers that he has, just these simple prayers of like, I hope that there's a lot of grain. I hope that people have a lot of children. You know, we can get a little bit like, oh, that's, you know. But put them in your phrase. Lord, I hope everyone's 401ks get big. I mean, that's what he's praying for, right? When he prays for a lot of grain and a lot of livestock, that was their way to help, you know, have prosperity and be able to get things they needed. That's as kind of down to earth as his prayers are. I hope that everybody has lots of children so we, our names can go forward and the kingdom can be built. And notice, though, that you also still see here qualities that are going to remind you of someone else, right? Is there a direct fulfillment of all this with Solomon? Yes, partially, right? Solomon is always getting close to fulfilling this, but then there's times where his sin kicks in, or his, his mistakes kick in, or his, his failures keep him from fully fulfilling this, right? So there's, there's always this sense of, oh, we got so close, but then he, we still can't get it. We still have this human king. What are we going to do? Well... I love this. This is a, from one of the commentaries I was reading. Um, he said, of this psalm, he says, the New Testament doesn't quote this psalm as a messianic psalm, but this picture of the king and his realm is so close to the prophecies in Isaiah 11, where, which we read, and then Isaiah chapters 61 through 62, which you should definitely read. They're very, very important chapters talking about the Messiah. That if those passages in Isaiah are messianic, then this one is. Right? Meaning the language here is so close together that it's, it's, if you're saying that this isn't talking about the Messiah, then you're kind of saying that the passages in Isaiah aren't talking about Jesus. And we know that those are clearly prophesying Jesus. So let's think about how Jesus is going to fulfill all of these things. Right? We've been looking at how Solomon gets really close and then you get disappointed. You're like, oh yeah, but he, didn't, he wasn't over the whole world. Yeah, sure, the Queen of Sheba came and there was the gold and that's fulfilled, but they, 
they got big, but they didn't, they didn't cover the whole world. And look at all the ways that he messed that up. And then right afterwards, they got divided and all that stuff. And you feel this disappointment. Well, how is God going to solve this problem? God, and we know this from all throughout Scripture, he's going to send a leader and a redeemer that God's people have waited for throughout history. This Messiah is going to save Israel. He's going to bring their hearts back to the God. Jesus is going to be the perfect king which is something none of us have ever seen, right? The perfect king. He's going to actually fix all of these problems that we, we have made, the problems that other people make that we can't handle, evil and oppression and chaos and all those things that are on our minds. He is going to fix them. God's kingdom is going to perfectly carry out all the stuff that we would hope some government would carry out. It's going to be a place of true justice and true goodness, and if you look here, there's actually, again, there's these references that an Israelite would have listened to and he, he would have might even said, well, that's not even a job for the king. How is he going to do that? Like, yeah, I get it that we're going to be prosperous, but it says in here, there's a commentator who said, if you read this king in, in chapter 72 of Psalms, he's not just a mere judge, he's a savior. Isn't that pretty cool? Where it's, it's going beyond David's prayers. He's saying, I hope, that, I hope that Solomon does this and that. And poor Solomon's looking at this, he's like, God could do that, but I can't do that, right? He's, he's maybe even getting a little flustered. That's exactly the point. God is going to do that for the people in a way that even Solomon, who was a pretty great king, is never going to be able to do. So how, how do we know that? Well, contrary to how it's typically used in the Old Testament, remember we just finished up Ruth and we're talking about that right of redemption, right? Where someone's supposed to come along and buy back the land or buy back the, 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 the person or whatever to make sure that everything stays in the family and there's this legacy that goes on. Well, that duty of redemption in the Old Testament, that's a family thing. That's your job, right? If, if you see a, a, a field that's going to someone else, you got to go buy it back, right? But here... It says, from oppression and violence, he redeems their life. So he is being kind of set up as the, the chief political figure of the land is the one who goes in and checks on everybody and makes sure that the redeemer's right is getting taken care of. The king is showing, you know, it's a crazy enough story in Ruth when it's just Boaz. Imagine that, no, that should be the king's job. He should be figuring out that Ruth is in trouble and he should go redeem her. And you're kind of like, well, how's he going to do that? He's the king. And that's kind of the point. This is such a perfect king that he's got tabs on everybody everywhere in the kingdom and is making sure that they're okay and taking care of them personally as if they were his own family. Isn't that interesting? Isaiah 62, starting in verse 11 through 12. I told you we couldn't read all of Isaiah chapter 60 through 62, so I just tried to pick a good bit. It says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So Solomon's kingdom does bring peace and prosperity to Israel. It does. There's improvement. He goes further than his dad did. As he's building this house for the Lord, there's a temple, an incredible, beautiful temple that was unlike anything anybody had ever seen. Later on, they tried to kind of replicate it and they couldn't. And they were just so sorrowful because like, it's just not like what Solomon did. But the Messiah's kingdom is going to bring this blessing in a perfect way that beyond what Solomon could do to the entire world. And then there's still going to be this personal level where the Messiah is going to know exactly what's going on with everybody's life so that he can fix any problems and make them right. There's not going to be any more of this injustice. All these problems that David's praying hopefully can be fixed will be solved. All of David's observations about the character and personality of the perfect king are going to come to pass in Jesus. 
All the things that he's saying, man, I, I hope that hopefully Solomon could be a little closer to this. Jesus says, I can do exactly that. Better even than you think. Well, check this out. And that's who Jesus is going to be. And remember, this is why you have to, this is a little side note, but sometimes it's, it's, it's so easy when we're reading through the Gospels and you can read and they're like, well, why isn't he kicking the Romans out? And you can be like, oh, silly, silly Israelites, you don't get it. Well, of course they expected that. They were hoping, they were expecting the perfect king. And the perfect king isn't going to let us be oppressed under all these things. Now, we know now that Jesus had two things he was going to do. He was going to come first for us, to sacrifice for us, and second as this, as this perfect king to rule. But they didn't know that. So you've got to be a little easier on him, right? This is exciting. He's here and he's going to fix everything. That, that, there was a disappointment they had. They just let that disappointment turn them against him. But you've got to remember, this is what they were supposed to be looking for. This perfect king who can be a warrior, right? David had that part down. He's great at the warrior. Who can be a perfect judge, Solomon seems like a little more of that, right? When we hear that story where he makes this perfect judgment, right? And he, was, he had that part, right? And a perfect savior. Well, neither of them could do that. What do you mean I'm supposed to save all the people? Like, I, you know, Solomon had more wealth than, than anybody, and he's not going to be able to buy everybody out of poverty. The, the, Jesus is able to not spare the guilty, but also redeem the sinner at the same time. We can't do that. Jesus is able to strike down evil and lift up the broken, and he knows which is which. Right? We've, got, we've tried lots of different systems of government on this planet. None of them really work. That's not a political statement. That's just a statement. <laughs> None of them work. Something's always broken. Somebody's always getting it wrong all the time. Not in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is actually the hero that you've been searching for everywhere else. Whether that's, oh, you know, this thinker is finally going to explain to me how i got to set this up. And Jesus is that person. Go to Jesus. Jesus can explain to you what you need to do in that situation in your family, in that situation in your business. Oh, well, if I, if, I, if I read this guy and then I do this exercise program and I get this set up, then I can finally conquer these desires that I have. No, you want to talk to Jesus. He's the one who can, who can do that for you. Well, you don't understand. I've got this mess going on in my family, and, and if we can just all kind of finally pull together, I, I'm sure you all are great, but you can't. You need to go to Jesus. He is the one who's actually able to do all these things that David was hoping might happen someday. If, if maybe if, if Solomon does good and he won't do everything, but the next guy, maybe he can come along. Nope. It's going to have to be Jesus. Jesus is going to have to give them what they need. This is going to be, should be our response when we look around. Now let's bring it back to us, right? Okay, yeah, that's great for Solomon, but how does this apply to me? When we look around at the, the chaos that's going on in our family or maybe in our workplace or our nation and we throw up our hands and we wonder who is going to clean this mess up right what what are we going to do about this right maybe you've had this feeling if you're watching the news or you're online and you just look at the mess that is always there scrolling past you say who is going to clean this mess up the answer is jesus only jesus is going to be able to do that we can try really hard and we're going to talk about how we should do what's right and we should do what's just but we need to remember that Jesus is the one who's able to do that. It's totally impossible otherwise. Israel had two of the best kings they could pretty much possibly have had, and they still made a lot of mess. It's, it, was, it had to be the Messiah who could actually fix the problems that they were creating. If we want our, our lives, our family, our people, our nation, whatever, to be supernaturally blessed, what can we do about that? Right? So, okay, it's going to have to be Jesus. What do you want me to do? Well, put yourself in the position of if you're hearing this psalm, and this psalm is about blessing, right? Yeah, gosh, Lord, I hope after I go away that, there's, uh, that things are built up in the kingdom where there's blessing. Well, how would we get that blessing? He says, 
judge well, act righteously, and seek God's kingdom. That's what we need to do. Right? He says the king is going to need to be somebody right from the beginning. Give your king justice and give him righteousness. He's looking towards God as the source of these things. Right? He's looking towards God's kingdom and he's saying, well, if we want to be blessed, we're going to need your righteousness and your justice. That's what we're going to need to do. So if you look at a situation in your life that is unblessed, I'm pretty sure that's a technical theological term. If you find an unblessed situation in your life, then the things that you need are to look to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your righteousness and your justice if this mess is going to get cleaned up. Right? And that, that is going to be, you know, you say, oh, that's so easy for you to say. That's, that's such a cop out. Like, no, I want something practical. That's all I've got. It's actually not easy, by the way. It's impossible without the Lord. If you look at that mess and you think, well, you know, what am I supposed to do to give me something practical? I can give you something practical, but you will not be able to do it without Jesus. Because it will require that mess that you have in your life, it will require Jesus, justice, and righteousness. Where are you going to get that? Well, from Jesus. <laughs> you don't have that. So you're going to have to go to him and say, okay, I'm, I have to make this decision. You're calling me to make this decision, and it's got to be just and righteous. What do you want me to do? You've got to have that reliance on him. God has ordered his kingdom in such a way that we are able to participate in what he wants to do, wherever we are and whoever we are in Jesus Christ. That's something that God wants us as Christians to do. I can prove that to you. And there's different ways that people are, are, are supposed to participate. We talked about, the, you know, you see in this kingdom, there's strong people and weak king, people even in this psalm, right? Where he's talking about, okay, the oppressed people, I want you to take care of them. But the king, he's got this power to go do things. Okay, if you're in a strong position in your life, then your job in the kingdom is to redeem those around you who are weak. What do I mean by a strong position? Look, husbands and wives and parents and people who are discipling others and employers and leaders, there are people around you that are weaker than you. I guarantee it. If you're an employer, there are people that are looking to you saying, well, I hope he's got this figured out, because otherwise I'm going to get fired. <laughs> they clock out at five and they say, whew, that's a mess. I hope he figures that out. <laughs> See you tomorrow, right? That's, and that's your job. They're thinking about that all the time. They're saying, man, I, I hope he's treating me fair. I'm not even really sure how that all works out, but I hope he's taking care of us, right? So the Lord looks at that and says, well, I want you to take care of them. I want you to do justly and righteously by them. If you're a parent, you've got kids. I know because they ask me questions like, what are we eating for lunch every day? Um, they're looking to you, right? They're hoping that you have this figured out. Treat them justly and righteously. That's your job. You're, you might not be stronger than everybody, but you're stronger than them. Teach them how to follow the Lord. Give them the things that they need, right? Now, and you're able to do that as you look to the Lord. Lord, I don't know how to do that. Well, I'm sure David and Solomon prayed a lot of those prayers. Lord, what do you want me to do? They both say it's their baby. <laughs> what do you want here? <laughs> right? And the Bible says that the Lord gave him wisdom. The Lord can do that so that you can bless other people by the way that you're showing them the Lord's justice and the Lord's righteousness. Okay, that's not me. I'm not those people. I'm weak. Good news for you. God's kingdom loves weak people. Might, maybe even you're in a better situation than the strong people. Because read the Sermon on the Mount. God's got some time for people that come in and say, I am just barely here, Lord. What do you, you want me to do stuff? I just got here. The Lord loves you. Receive that blessing from the Lord, though, and grow strong. You don't, the Lord wants to bless you in such a way that you're able to grow and, and do better and learn and be sanctified and start doing the things that he wants you to do for people around you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Lord wants to give you things so that you can be enjoying all these blessings that we read about in the psalm. He doesn't want you to stay in that place where you, you feel like, Lord, it just feels like everything's a mess. God doesn't want that for you. Solomon, in a lot of ways, repeated 
and even enlarged on the very sins that he had been conceived in. Right? He, he made some of the messes worse. But God answered his humble prayers and blessed him and blessed his kingdom. Do you remember when you know, Solomon's prayer, he looks at all this mess and kind of understand it a little now. He, Solomon's sitting there. I always get this. I don't know whether this is true, but I always get the feeling that it's like right after all this has died down and the party's over and he's sitting there and the Lord's like, what do you want, Solomon? And he goes, well, dad said that apparently I'm supposed to like rule the whole world. So can we start with wisdom and then go from there, right? He's got to be a little intimidated. But God answered that prayer. God gave him the thing he asked for. And every good kingdom imitates God's rule. The leader fears God. The followers fear God. Everyone does righteous and just things in whatever they're responsible for, wherever that is. And then everyone gets blessed by God. Including, look, read this, even the natural world. Things just get better when you're following the Lord. We have time. I want to tell this little story. It's not my story. I'm stealing it from Pastor Tyler. But he, he says, you know, when you go, and I've, I've seen this to be true as well, when you go over to these other countries where everything about that country for so many years has just been steeped in some other religion, some other way of trying to reach God. And it, this may not be a popular thing to say nowadays, but it makes a mess. It just does. And one thing that you notice is you, when you get to a place where you know there are believers living, it looks different. And that's not, that's just a statement about what happens. And Pastor Tyler said that in Nepal, the believers, as they, they realize, so wait, I'm not chained to this like wheel of karma where I, it doesn't matter what I do. Well, then I guess I could clean this lawn up. I guess I could fix that roof because God wants me to be blessed and God wants me to work hard. And pretty soon where they live even looks different. And there's like things growing and stuff like that. God wants, to, God cares about things like that. He wants to bless you even down to that level, which we know because that's some of the prayers he's talking about. He's got these big prayers about dominion from the sea to the sea, but he also says, and I hope that the, there's grain growing on the mountains, Lord, because it just looks nice up there, right? He's, he, the prayer even goes down to that level. Now let's finish up here in verses 18 through 20, and we'll see how this whole thing gets then directed back to the Lord. Verse 18 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So, just like always, the Psalms, you know, they always are going to wrap up and direct our attention back toward the Lord, right? There might be some crazy things going on in the middle of the Psalm. You're reading some stuff and you're like, ah, is that even supposed to be in the Bible? He's praying for the Lord to bust people's teeth out. And then at the end, he'll always say, but I, I know that you're in charge and you've got this. And he reminds us of the Lord. And this is true here. 18 and 19 is what I, I learned is what's called a doxology, right? Just like we have a doxology, like praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's like a really kind of specific little couple lines that direct us back to the Lord, to, toward the Lord. Well, they think this would have been a doxology for them that kind of marks the end of this set of psalms. So it's a part of this, but it's kind of also a part of all the rest of these other psalms in the second book that says, okay, now we're, we're done with this. And it says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse are ended. That's one of the reasons why I would lean toward this being one of David's prayers, because I feel like they put that after the end of David's prayers. But there's people who, who disagree, so that's all right. David didn't live to see this whole thing fulfilled, right? I mean, I mean literally, like he passed away and he didn't even get to see how Solomon did. So he's asking in faith that God would keep all these promises towards, to David, towards David's house. He's believing in faith that the Lord's going to do that, even though he doesn't have the evidence right then. 
And that's a really important thing to remember as we face chaos and uncertainty, whether that's like in our home or on your block or election year stuff or whatever. This psalm is instructing us, to, if we want these things that are in this psalm, right? Who doesn't want there to be so much peace and prosperity that it seems like just money grows everywhere? When it talks about grain, that's what that would have been, right? So who doesn't want that? I would love that to be true of my country, right? Well, if I want that, then he says, you know what? You'd better be blessed in the Lord's name because he's the one who does those things. Directs us back towards the Lord. It would have been really easy for David to focus on his circumstances, but the Psalms teach us to hope in God and in his certain promises. You can place your trust in the only ruler with an unbroken track record, right? Which is Jesus, sorry. <laughs> so there's, we don't have any other options. Nobody else has never, ever, ever broken a promise to us, right? Lots of guys that you're like, oh, I, oh man, that, he didn't keep that one, right? And that's, that was true with these kings. I'm sure the people were like, okay, David, things were crazy around here for a minute. Maybe his son will get it right. And his son mostly got it right. But even he couldn't actually follow the Lord perfectly. And then you keep reading the kings and it gets worse and worse. He did not follow the way of David. He did not serve the Lord. Right? It gets worse and worse. But Jesus is not going to do that to us. Jesus is actually able and has promised. He's given us this partial fulfillment, right? Where's this partial fulfillment? In you. In your heart. Jesus is doing the work of his kingdom in your heart right now. Cleaning up that mess. Making things right and just and perfect in the way he wants them to. You might not always see that. You might say, Lord, there's still a mess here. And he says, I know, but I've promised you that I'm going to fix that. And he's, if he can do that, right? Maybe some of you, he's already made a ton of progress because you remember what it used to be like. Okay, if he can do that, then don't you think he can take care of other things like nations and stuff? You, you were a mess. The Lord can take care of those messes. Okay, last thing we're going to talk about. That's fine. But remember I said, I want us to have some things that we can do while we wait for that. Okay, great. That's a great message. Jesus is coming back someday and he'll fix it. What do you want me to do tomorrow? I'm glad you asked. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is written to similar situations where people are wondering, okay, Jesus hasn't come back yet. What do you want us to do? And starting in verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 9. It says, You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. You're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So look there. We already have a prescription for what we're supposed to do during times like that. When we look around and we see these messes, whether that, again, if that's a mess like in your life, where you're like, I know where that mess is. It's in my heart right over here in the place that I'm not talking to the Lord about. Or whether that's something literal. We've got to fix this situation with our finances. It is a mess and we've got to fix it. Whatever it is, God has told you what to do. And it's not nothing, by the way. It's not just kind of sit there and hope that it gets better. We're called to serve God. We, we get to look at this list of things that a king should do to be just. And the Lord says, well, that's your inheritance now. I have left and I want you to do that thing that I would have done if I was here being the king. You, you stay here and make this kingdom as close as you can get it to how I want it, and then I'm going to return and actually do the final work, right? That's what Jesus has left us to do. That's why they call us Christians, right? That was, it was kind of like a mean term. They were like, oh, they're like those little Jesus people. You think you're a little Jesus running around. And they kind of said, well, 
yeah, that's <laughs> what he told me I was supposed to do. He told me I was supposed to go into some situation and say, okay, Jesus is not here still. What would he do if he was here? How would he fix this? And then he empowers you by the Holy Spirit to actually do that. That's what he wants you to do. We get to go out and do justly and righteously where we are, knowing that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to enable us. In Jesus, this charge that's for Solomon that he didn't complete all the way, it's ours too. And we don't need to be discouraged if you look at some places and say, well, I have failed this charge in this place or that place. The Lord knows that. He's promised to empower you, and you can believe that by faith, even if you don't see that right now, so that the next time you look at one of these messes, and you say, okay, that is not how the Lord wants that. It is unblessed, right? The thing that we do is we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, what do you want for this situation? And when the Lord tells you, he says, well, I don't want it to be like that. I don't want everybody in your family to be fighting. I don't want, you know, you to be acting like that at work. I don't want that, situ that, that place in your town to be going that way, and I want you to be there. Then you say, okay, Lord, then you've got to give me everything that I need of Jesus to be able to go do that. And you go out and give it a shot. And the Lord loves that. The Lord blesses that. And he wants to use you to make things the way that he wants them to be, right? Until he returns and actually is the perfect king, which we were just talking about this morning. That would be nice if that was today, right? Because there's enough of these situations that I would love if the Lord would just fix them. But as we wait, we have these instructions for what he wants us to do.